not yet shown his face. When they come, they'll come at what you love. Hello, I'm Francis Coppola, and I would like to tell you a little bit about my experience working on what was released as The Godfather Part Three. The third film, Mario Puzo and I, when we wrote it, had called it The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. Mr. Corleone, we have a problem. I said we make him dead, you give me the order, I'll take care of it. Because of Paramount Pictures' kindness in allowing me to revisit this project, I have re-edited it, and I have given it what really isn't a new title, but rather the original title, Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. In musical terms, a coda is sort of like an epilogue. It's a summing up, and that's what we intended the movie to be. You'll see a film which has a different beginning, has a different ending. It's not personal, Godfather. It's only business. Many scenes throughout have been repositioned and the picture has been given, I think, a new life, which does in fact act as an illumination of what the two films meant. Friends, our business together is done. So here is The Godfather, Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. Welcome back to Geek Channel 8. I'm Eric. And I'm Rosie. So I finally finished Boardwalk Empire. Loved it. It only took me years because <laughs> I stopped. You've been talking watching. about it on this podcast forever. <laughs> I know. It, it was one of those shows like we kept putting down and picking back up and putting down and picking back up. And I actually started watching it when I was married to my ex-husband. Um, so when I finally you know, had the ability to do it again. I picked up the show and finished watching the series, which I love. Well, so I'm glad that you got to finish it before we got finished with the Godfather, because did you see how it connects to the Godfather at yeah. the end? Yes, 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 I did. That was the episode I was waiting for. So yeah, it was so satisfying to finally get to finish that series. And, and I have to state that Patricia Arquette, even though she wasn't in it, very much she really did a phenomenal job that whole cast was amazing if you get a chance to watch it do it definitely and now i've moved on to the serpent queen so and that show is amazing as well uh the lead actress in the serpent queen played alpha on the walking dead and she was just so phenomenal in that show i had to see the serpent queen i went ahead and just got the star's application of my hulu account was like i'm watching it i can't not watch this show and i devoured the episodes that were available to me and uh now i'm chopping at the bit to watch the latest release so highly recommend that that series as well and i'm watching the uh final season of the walking dead as as the episodes are coming out <laughs> and my partner's glad that the season is ending um, and I'm like, I'm going to watch the spinoffs. And he's like, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm just fangirling over here because it looks like Rick and Michonne are going to have a spinoff and I'm here for it. So what have you been watching? Well, it's approaching Halloween at the time we're recording this. 
And so if there is one studio that sort of defined horror movies in the last decade, the, the 2010s, it would have to be Blumhouse. And so okay. I've been on a Blumhouse kick. I watched The Empty Man, which is a really interesting, weird horror film. It's got a little bit of urban legend mixed with some strange philosophy reminded me a lot of surreal kind of horror like a Cronenberg film or like a um, Jacob's Ladder if you've ever seen that film Mm -hmm. you think it's going to go one way and then suddenly the movie like the first 20 minutes is one movie and then it turns on a dime and it seems like it's a completely different movie and then you figure out how it's connected over time you know and then then it turns again like so every time you think you know what's going on there's a twist i appreciated that and then of course a couple other blumhouses i watched recently the purge which i had never seen the original purge so i went back and watched the purge freaky is another one which Mm -hmm. I think Freaky sounded better on paper than it ended up being. Basically, uh, are you familiar with Freaky? No, no, but I I love the phrase, it sounded better on paper. You have my interest. (laughs) Freaky is basically Freaky Friday, that film where the mother and daughter switch bodies. Okay. Like, instead of being a mother and daughter that switch bodies, it's a high school girl and a serial killer so it's freaky friday crossed with friday the 13th okay and the serial killers play it was vince vaughn so vince vaughn (laughs) is now like got a teenage girl in his body and like then the teenage girl is like vince vaughn the serial killer you know (laughs) but uh it sounds (laughs) really hilarious it actually wasn't as good as it sounded and a lot of the jokes kind of fell flat but you could see where this was a cool idea Mm -hmm. in theory you know right and then probably what they're most known for like their most famous film their most critically acclaimed film whiplash which isn't Mm -hmm. a horror movie at all it's about a drummer in drumming school you know and jk simmons is like this horrible drum teacher that he has to endure it it is to drumming what black swan is to ballet ballet. (laughs) Um, so they bring sort of the horror idea to music school drama and a lot of these Blumhouse films remind me of like 90s alternative videos, a lot of orange and green lighting, you know, okay. <laughs> so that's what I've been up to watching all these Blumhouse films of the past decade or so that like I probably should have watched before now, but I always put off all my horror films till around Halloween, one, because it's the season and two, because my girlfriend really doesn't like horror films, so I got to watch them whenever she's not around, so that limits the the time okay let's get into today's show though we are talking about the godfather coda so what basically happened was for the film's 30th anniversary paramount allowed francis ford coppola to make a recut version which he entitled the godfather coda the death of michael corleone which apparently was the title that he and Mario Puzo had wanted it to be called. It had a limit limited theatrical release 
on December 4th, 2020, like so right during the pandemic, for like four days, followed by a digital Blu-ray release on uh, the 8th. We've hit the point where like, even if you make a Godfather film, you only get four days in the theater before they're like rushing it out to stream. <laughs> so this cut includes changes to the beginning and the ending of the film and some re-edited scenes and musical cues. The total runtime is 158 minutes, which is four minutes shorter than the original 162 minutes. We'll talk about the runtime later. Coppola said that the recut film is the version that he and Puzo had originally envisioned and that it, quote, vindicates its status in the Godfather trilogy as well as his daughter Sophia's performance. Basically, Sophia, well, her performance was pretty much panned by critics. Both Al Pacino and Diane Keaton gave their approval to the recut film and said that it was an improvement over the original. And then like the previous two Godfather films, Godfather Part 3 was a box office hit and it was nominated for seven Academy Awards. But unlike the others, it didn't win any of them. So it didn't win any wow. Academy Awards. On Rotten Tomatoes, the original cut of Godfather 3 has a 68% critics rating and a 62% audience rating. So audiences and critics are like right about in perfect agreement that it was like a 62%. <laughs> it's not great. But the Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone, which is this one, has an approval rating of 86% among critics and a more modest 77% audience rating. But a lot of the biggest film journalists thought it was pretty much the same movie. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Of course, red wine goes with everything Godfather because that's all they drink in the movies. I didn't research like what exact wine it would be, but it's a red wine. And what I looked into was a pairing of uh, antipasto salad and maybe veal marsala. Now, both of those recipes are extremely extensive. So I really don't want to go into going through every ingredient and how to fix it. And, you know, they're numerous amounts of antipasto recipes online and then i also found several veal marsala recipes online including an easy version that you could make for date night so i'm recommending for this episode or even this series you know or i mean their movies are long so you would really have to set up several date nights and then this could be one meal that you put together for the Godfather three, maybe the grand finale type of meal. Just have some red wine, have some antipasto salad, some veal marsala. If you don't eat veal, maybe chicken marsala, you know, change it up a little bit. That's what um, I had for dinner tonight, by the way. Is it really? <laughs> chicken Man, marsala, yeah. I haven't even had dinner yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to later. I just don't have, I didn't have a uh, time to throw something together, so. Um, I had just finished my shift one hour before we started recording, and that's not enough time for me to even think about what I want to eat. Epicurious actually did an article about meals that were featured in The Godfather, so definitely go to the Epicurious website. 
but actually there have been several articles written throughout the years about the Godfather and the food and drinks that they serve on the show. So I definitely add that to your list if you're going to have a Godfather themed party or binge watch night or something like that, because uh, that that would just be perfect. So it's 1979, and again, it opens at a party. And of course, Johnny Fontaine is there to provide the singing entertainment. So of course, I mean, with every party, there's always wheeling and dealing going on in the background, right? Always yep. wheeling and dealing going on in the background. Sometimes even some, some secrets are let out. Michael agrees to this deal because he's trying to get Vatican votes. And he's also trying to move towards making his business a legitimate business, which was his wife's wishes all along, which, you know, they weren't together, but, you know. So he was trying to get more legitimate on paper, so he was staying out of trouble. At all of these parties, yeah, there's wheeling and dealing, but there's also family drama that comes up at all these things, too. And in this yes. case, we have... Anthony, who, like young Michael way back when, was going to law school. Um, okay. But yep. instead of going to law school, he has his own dream. He wants to be a singer instead. And mm -hmm. Michael's like, oh, he's throwing his life away. For some reason, it seems like Michael's mellowed a lot because he eventually agrees. Yeah. Yeah, he eventually does agree. And in fact, Kay and... Michael seemed to be getting back together again during this film, like after not having been together for a while, like after, you know, such a horrible breakup before you'd think that they would never get back together, but. Right. Somehow. And he, he refused to divorce her, didn't he? So she had to just stay married that yeah. whole time. Yeah. Which is bullshit. Sorry, but you know, it's, it's unfair Catholic. to trap it's, a woman like that. Yeah. This is, Regardless of the religion, it's real wrong to trap women like that. She wants a divorce by God, give her one. I think that like in the 1970s, like even outside of Catholicism, it was kind of, it was a lot more rare. Like, it was a lot more rare back then. Like it, it really didn't, couples didn't really start divorcing on a more regular basis really until more in the 80s i remember you know, in the when, 70s when we were growing up like when we were growing up and well i was growing up in the 70s i remember the film kramer versus kramer came out and it was like a big deal because it was a movie about two people getting divorced and like custody battle and i'm like that's just like daily life nowadays right but back then right. it was like that was something that that merited an entire feature film on its own Right. It was a big deal. It was unheard of. And it was so taboo back then that they made a movie about it. And now it's par for the course half the time. It's like nowadays people have a starter marriage and then they find the love of their life and get married and stay married. And some people take a couple of starter marriages. Speaking of kids, another bit of family drama happens here where his brother Sonny's illegitimate son Vincent shows up at the mm -hmm. party and like mm -hmm. he's trying to get an audience with michael he can't really get one he meets a reporter played by bridget fonda 
back when Bridget Fonda was actually in movies, like yeah. for a minute, you know? Yeah. And I know it's Bridget Fonda before they showed her face because they showed her legs and that she was the woman with like the perfect legs in every 90s movie. And so like they show her legs first. She's like adjusting her stockings or something. I forget what. Right, and of then course. They, then they pan up. And I'm like, that's Bridget Fonda. I can tell by her legs that's Bridget Fonda. So Vincent turns out to be a lot like uh, Sonny, like a hothead, basically. Uh, nevertheless, family is super important to Michael Corleone. It's really important in all of the preceding Godfather films. But in this film, I feel like that's the overwhelming theme here. And so he's willing to let Anthony go and become a singer because he doesn't want to become estranged from Anthony. And he's willing to take Vincent, who's half related. He's like, he takes him in, even though there's a huge dispute between him and this guy, Joey Zaza. Joey Zaza is like a, another mob guy who's running Vito Corleone's old neighborhood. And right. um, they don't get along. And in fact, uh, yeah, <laughs> Vincent actually ends up biting off Joey Zaza's ear, you know? Yeah, yeah that was messed up. Yeah, yeah, later on, he has like a fake ear, like in a later scene when we see him again. But the main piece of business, the Vatican is like in debt. And they're coming to the mob to get bailed out. Mm -hmm. And the deal that they come up with is that, you know, the mob will give them $600 million, which is an astounding sum of money for 1979. Right. Um, in exchange for shares in this company, Immobiliare. Um, right. Right. Which is a real estate company. And this will finally make the Corleone family legit, mm -hmm. supposedly. Supposedly. <laughs> but now once that happens, like all the other mobs want to wet their beak, remember? Like the, mm -hmm. that whole term. And so the commission wants to get together because all the mob bosses want in on this immobiliare deal. Right. Which, by the way, is no not a sure thing because like the Pope is really old and it looks like he might not last too long and the Vatican bankers against it. And so the commission decides to meet in Atlantic City and they meet in the skyscraper. It is at this moment where they're talking about Zasa. Michael Corleone says that he's like, dresses like a flashy mobster and he's famous and he's on the cover of magazines and it'll make you famous too. Like a backhanded, like, you know, are you sure you want to deal with this guy at that point in time is when I realized that he's John Gotti. I never realized that oh, before, but yeah, that was the moment okay. I realized he was like based on John Gotti. And the reason I don't, I didn't realize it at the time is this film came out in 1990 and John Gotti was just arrested that same year in 1990. So I really didn't know that much about Gotti until after stuff started coming out during the trial. But apparently Puzo, who studies this stuff, did because... I don't know for a fact that Joey Zaza is John Gotti, but now that I think about it, like he was flashy and like in the media a lot, which normal mobsters weren't, you know, they tried to not be 
on the front page, you know? Yeah, they try so, to keep it on the download. They didn't want their business out there for everybody to know it. And John Gotti's out there like, hey. <laughs> yeah, making the scene in New York. This film does not have any really hugely memorable quotes the way that of like make him an offer he can't refuse like that isn't said in this one right but this film may have more good quotes overall than either of the first two godfather films and i'm just going to throw out some of these quotes and you can tell me what you think of them okay right, so you know most of these are from michael but i'll say a couple from other people the first one's from Kay, Kay corleone mm-hmm. she said i preferred you when you were just a common mafia hood What was notable about this line to me is that this may be the first and only mention of the word mafia in all of these films. Oh, wow. All right. So now let's get into Michael's quotes. The only wealth in this world is children, he said. And what's interesting about this quote is I've heard Coppola himself say words to this effect. I heard him say once in an interview that, you know, he would talk to someone who has a lot of kids and he said, oh, well, you must be a very rich man. And the, the guys would say like, oh, no, 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 I'm not rich. I'm I'm poor. And he's like, no, if you have a lot of kids, you're a rich man. So I don't know if he wrote this line or suggested it or Mario Puzo put it in, or they just have similar philosophies or whatever. And that reinforces the overall theme of this film, which is family. Right. Um, Speaking of family, Sofia Coppola was not as bad as I remembered her. I thought Mm -hmm. I remembered her being pretty awful in this, but she was by no means an awesome actress. And I would have liked to have seen Winona Ryder back, Mm -hmm. but apparently Winona Ryder was sick. So she was a last minute replacement and it was her first ever film. And uh, her performance is a little flat, but she's also uh, stacked up, you know, in scenes with people like Al Pacino like so her right. first film and she's not really an actress and she's like put up next to one of the greatest screen actors of all time you know right right <laughs> one of my favorite lines in here they're in the helicopter on their way to the meeting at Atlantic City and the, the Joey Zaza comes up again and Vincent's always talking about oh we got to kill him we have to do this and Michael Corleone tells him Never hate your enemies. It affects your judgment. Yes. And I love this quote because I try to go by this philosophy myself. I'll give you an example from my life. Years ago, I worked in a job and I had a manager that I did not like. And the manager did not like me. And we were stuck together. Then the manager was in the know about other stuff in in the business and found out about another job opening paid better than what I was making, you know, Mm -hmm. for, you know, someone of my skills, he told me about it and I applied for it. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure he gave me a good recommendation. So why would you give a good recommendation to someone you hate? Because it meant that I was leaving. I was out of his hair. He was out of my hair. Like it was a win-win for everybody. I got a better job, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Like, so this is what I mean about never hate your enemies. There's enemies and then there's business and business Mm -hmm. is business, you know? Another theme of this is crime and politics and money. Michael Corleone at one time says, politics and crime, they're the same thing. (laughs) <laughs> that was one of his quotes. And it's um, kind of not wrong. 
especially now, like in a post-Trumpian world, like where the former president is like currently beyond trial or whatever. Um, yeah, it's yeah. like every day it's a new lawsuit or something, you know, or, or, or new things coming out. It reminds me of another quote also from this film where Michael Corleone says, Italian politics have had these men for centuries. They're the true mafia. Yeah. Yeah. But there's other people that mention this as well as Michael. Like, I think as Michael says, you know, you know, things that I don't, you know, about these things like, you know, finance and politics and Don Lucchesi, he says, well, you know, guns, don't you? Finance is a gun and politics is knowing when to pull the trigger. And then there's uh, the other quote, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. <laughs> That's most memorable because of Pacino's delivery of it. You know? It's oh, like, yeah. Just when I thought I was up, they pull me back in, you know? Like, oh, I um, know. The line itself isn't like one of those lines, like make him an offer he can't refuse with like interesting subtext to it. It's just straight up line, but the delivery is amazing. And yeah, it's one of those things where if you're in this lifestyle, you're never truly getting out of it. I think right. that's, of course, a theme here. And in fact, Michael Corleone at one point says, when there's the new Pope, Pope John Paul I, we get a new Pope during the course of this film, and he's like cleaning house. So the steel might not go through. And Michael Corleone says, it's dangerous to be an honest man. Mm-hmm. Let's see. There are a couple more that I remember, like friends and money, oil and water was another one that. Boy, is that true? That's why I don't lend money to people. Yeah. <laughs> I give money. I don't lend it because I don't want people thinking they have to pay me back. So I don't give a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Don Altobello says the richest man is the one with the most powerful friends. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's so, true. Anyway, those were some of my most memorable quotes from this film. And I think they sum up some of the themes of this film. That last quote is legit because, really, honestly, in so many things in life, it's more about who you know than what your skills are. It's, you know, definitely like that in the out in the field and, and also, I don't know, and in, in life in general. And sometimes you, depending on the situation, you'd rather have somebody recommend a person for that particular thing, whatever it is, because you know that they're trusted to do that by someone that you trust. Spoiler alert. We're going to have a spoiler here. Okay. If you don't want to know the end of this film, skip ahead five minutes in the podcast. <laughs> the whole last part of this film is an opera where anthony is singing making his singing debut and that's kind of seems like the whole point of this film was to get to that opera because it's one of the reasons why it's called the godfather coda coda being a musical term for the epilogue to an opera there's an assassination attempt on michael on the steps leaving the opera house and they miss but they end up accidentally shooting mary one bullet grazes him one goes straight through her chest 
when this movie was savaged by critics, a lot of their biggest criticisms were for Sophia. And in fact, Francis Ford Coppola says, and there may be some truth to this, that they just didn't like that it wasn't like the first two Godfather films and Sophia made a convenient target. He said, quote, they wanted to attack the picture when for some it didn't live up to its promise. Mm -hmm. And they came after this 18-year-old girl who had only done it for me. The daughter took the bullet for Michael Corleone. My daughter took the bullet for me. So. Yep. And you know what? Michael Corleone did tell Vincent, um, when they come at you, they come for what you love. Yeah. And that's why I thought that she was going to get killed. But I thought, but they didn't actually target her. Like, as near as I could tell, this was supposed to be a hit on him. And she just happened to be there. Right. She had been having this affair with Vincent, her first cousin, ooh. Um, yeah, that whole thing she, was cringy. She was like, I'll love him first, you know? And didn't he mention something about messing around with her when she was like eight years old? And I don't, you know, earlier in the film, like he I mentioned something mess, about that. I don't know. They've known each other definitely their whole lives or whatever. But okay, so maybe to make it a little less bad, He's her half cousin. <laughs> so that makes it so much better. Well, but it's yeah. half better. <laughs> half better. Half not. <laughs> um, oh, man. Overall, I got to say, I liked it better on second viewing or third viewing or however many viewing this is for me. It was better than I remember it. At least this cut makes it a little better. And so this is a less is more kind of situation where they cut four minutes out of it and mm -hmm. made it better. Right. That said, Francis Ford Coppola, when he introduced this film, said that a coda is a summing up in a musical number and that this is the summing up of the Godfather films. And if that's the case, a coda is supposed to be short at the end of a musical piece, a short summing up. This needs to be shorter and sum things up more. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, we've already seen his life story. And so at this point, most of the film comes down to like a real estate deal. And I don't think we need, you know, a three hour film about a real estate deal. This is not Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. This is supposed to be the Godfather. So I would have liked to have seen deeper cuts made to this film. Yeah. All in all, it was an enjoyable film. I feel like all of the Godfather movies are visually stunning and the storytelling, it sucks me in. I do enjoy that because if I'm going to spend two or three hours of my time on the couch watching something, I want it to be worth my time. And every Godfather movie has been worth my time. Even when I watched it with a guy I couldn't stand and that was all he watched. Still worth my time because here these are you know they're just well-made films yeah but i i agree it was definitely a little too long deeper cuts definitely could have been made you know this film is called the death of michael corleone and yet he survives that bullet attack and the last yeah. scene he's old and in sicily and reflecting on his life i think that the takeaway here to me is that he had probably the worst thing that could happen to him. He outlived all his family 
and or a lot of his family and so he had killed fredo and his daughter was shot and like in the end he's all alone like we don't even see Kay anymore mm-hmm. um i guess mm-hmm. she probably left him after that for good it's right. like he's it's just him like he mm-hmm. has no friends and family left the worst thing that he could have is that he would die alone and that's kind of what seems like happened so i think Mm -hmm. that's the death of michael corleone here when i first saw the movie i was like death of michael corleone but um he's still alive so why are they calling this the death of michael corleone and as i thought about the movie more which i had a couple weeks to think about it i'm like okay well this is you know death of michael corleone the mob boss the head of the family the head of the business things like that it's the death of that aspect of michael corleone because you know let's all face it we live beyond our careers hopefully and oftentimes you know men in the mob which it was mentioned in boardwalk empire that if you're in this kind of business there are really only a couple of ways out you can either kill yourself or you get killed so if you do survive that long you're an anomaly yeah i i think that's another way of looking at this is that it was the death of michael corleone the mobster but the guy lived past that right you know it was the end of his career i think that about does it for this episode but i want to say if you have not already please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcast. And don't just give us uh, a good rating. Also give us a good review, like type out a few words. Doesn't have to be long, just three or four words, because that'll really help us break out Right now, like every celebrity has a podcast. So we're up against mm-hmm. celebrity pod, thousands, thousands and thousands of, of podcasts and and like hundreds of celebrity celebrities now have podcasts. And because they're celebrities, they come with their own following. So they're not like taking away listeners because they bring their own listeners to the podcasts. But what they are doing is they're sucking all the air out of the room of podcasts because the algorithms don't know that they're a celebrity. They just know that this particular podcast has all these good reviews from, you know, the fans. So mm-hmm. it bumps them up in, makes them more visible uh, on the podcast apps and stuff like that. And all the other ones less visible. So, and we're definitely less visible. So um, it just helps other people find us if we have uh, a lot of good ratings and reviews. Um, yes. So we've got a lot of good ratings, but we don't have a lot of reviews yet. So if you could leave a review, that would be awesome. Also, if you want to reach us, uh, really the best way is by email. It's uh, letter G, letter C, number eight, GC8 podcast, all one word, GC8 podcast at gmail.com. If you have anything you want to say to us, let us know. Maybe we'll even read your email on the air. We'll see. But Until next time, this is Eric. And this is Rosie. Signing off. Of course, red wine goes with everything Godfather.